0: and welcome to Mind to Make episode 9. It's Jeremy Glenn as always. Surprise. Um, I guess I got over the supposed 8 podcast show hump that I've heard about. Anyway, it's been well worth it as far as I'm considered. I keep learning more and more with every new interview that I'm doing and I hope that you guys out there are getting the same kind of benefit that I am. So what do you do if you've got a great project but you don't know how to promote it? Um, My guest today, Todd Simmons, a.k.a. Rod Skimmons, can remember shows that he's been to since the age of six. So maybe it's no surprise that he's tapped into the essential keys to curating and promoting successful events. Uh, Among his many events, he's currently producing and promoting Big Sound Vancouver, which is an evening of Motown classics performed live by live by a 26-piece Golden Era Soul Orchestra and a ton of local and very talented vocalists uh it's amazing and there's a small clip of it in the show but i encourage you to check it out and if you're in toronto you should check out big sound in toronto because it's it's a it's an amazing experience to be a part of anyway in our interview today we talk about todd's musical and performative past and we pontificate on the early years of hip-hop We discuss how on multiple occasions, uh, Todd grew event communities and how those communities sustain not just the parties he was throwing, but also himself as well. We talk about how playing the long game wins out over the short term gains and why attitude is just as important as authenticity. All that and what I think is the most important factor in making a memorable event. But you'll have to listen to the interview to find out what that is. So, without further ado, I bring you my guest, Todd Simmons, on Mind to Make. I'm sitting here with uh, the hilarious, uh, hilarious, suave, dapper Todd Simmons uh very good friend of mine for many years now Uh, Todd and I have worked on a number of different projects I think that a lot of what Todd's experiences have been in the world of art and music are extremely relatable and I think they're um good food for thought so welcome Todd hey hey. thank you for being thanks for having me thanks for having
1: me on the uh I show you're not I guess I guess we are sitting together. This is technology, right? Yeah, we're not sitting technology. we're together, but we're not. Todd's together. in the
0: uh our so, in yeah. our Vancouver studios and <laughs> I'm in our Toronto <laughs> studios. When I say wow. our, I mean mine and his, but his. yes, yeah.
1: respectively. Respectively. Our stu- studios.
0: Yeah. But uh usually when I get started on the show, even though I know a lot of uh, about your past, I think it's good for other people to to get a bit of background. So, can you just Ooh. um get into briefly how you know what what got you into art and music in the first place and you know what were the was the early life
1: i i think at a young age i always was drawn to expression through art of some sort earliest art taking things apart my mother used to work for bell canada and she would bring home part of her like she's an operator she would bring home like pieces of uh, her gear, I guess stuff that they weren't used I decommissioned stuff, and I would take it apart and try to figure out how it worked and I built my own uh I built a headset into a telephone like an operator's headset into a telephone when I was uh six I, everything I did everything I did was when I was six or seven years old about pretty much that's all I can remember but I did that when i I took it apart and I figured out where the wires went. I didn't surprisingly didn't get electrocuted or shocked as much as I thought I would, but yeah, as you you (laughs) would think a six year old opening up a telephone, a rotary telephone at that. So it was a rotary telephone with an operator headset.
0: I don't know if your mom's going to be listening to the podcast, but she, yeah, yeah. she knew, she knew about it. I guess She knew what was going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she, she would. And so I would make, um, the next part would be writing rhymes. I used to, I, I used to, I was really into hip hop pretty early first song that blew my mind was uh rock master scott the roof is on fire mostly because he swore in it and it blew my mind i'd never i didn't i never imagined somebody swearing on the radio i was listening to like my sister's records was like the cult and you know she was really into 80s new wave and whatnot so she, being the older sister she was like my musical influence right um and so when i heard Rockmaster scott i was like oh my god this is amazing and from then on anytime i had anytime i could do it at school i made my assignments into a rap or into some kind of like poem or something <laughs> as often as i possibly could and they, as often as they would let me and so i understood that it was a powerful and especially the performance of it in, in front of people was like a powerful means of communication
0: Superstar DJs. here we go
1: Was always able to do more with the performance of my pieces i guess at the time than just on written on paper like i could you know there's comedic timing i was really into weird al yankovic and the show called uh, dr demento
0: yep I which was a radio show.
1: show yeah dr demento and uh i was really into parody songs obviously because of that yes yes and so i, re- I wrote my own parody songs and i like the, the just you know music and laughter and comedy and these things all together made me the artist i think that i am there's always a there's always a level of uh i don't know humor in what i do so yeah i guess that's the early early years i went to a school for the arts for about 2 years i got kicked out of the school for the arts probably because i they didn't know how to deal with somebody with adhd at that time mm-hmm. i spent a lot of time out in the hallway um writing raps course (laughs) and um uh, artistic fire yeah yeah it was um and you know i just i just it just never stopped i moved from toronto this is when i lived in toronto i moved from toronto to london ontario and i I kept rapping i hooked up with some people in public school and uh started a crew called uh the ph posse which was positively hyped posse we were also very much into acronyms And so we also were, uh, so I had a group called Young Wisdom with uh, uh, my best friend at the time, Mike McNorgan. Shout out to Mike McNorgan.
0: It sort of gives you (laughs) an indication of the time if you're not familiar with hip hop
1: culture. If you, you, yeah. I think the first track was a good
0: indication of maybe what time, maybe you can, I mean, you've already indicated previously that your age, but but was like we're in the talking 80s. when we started it was maybe like <laughs> we're talking like mid to mid 80s or late yeah mid, to mid late 80s.
1: 80s early early 80s mid because i was uh it was i was born in 76 so i'm 40 so the later part of the middle part of the 80s <laughs> yes i was in a in a the rap group young wisdom fashioned loosely off of uh, public enemy and yeah. uh, you know conscious raps i you know, was gonna was say dropping yeah. yeah dropped to be p- specific dropping science a lot of science yeah. was dropped right very much so um i did that and uh in london ontario the scene was it was a ama- you know it's funny in london you would think ontario london ontario seemed like a small place but because it was so small you either if you were a creative person with any kind of um like goals to do anything bigger you either left london or you did something in london like with the space that you're at and london had a really good hip hop scene um, if you think, looking back on it, I mean, we had people roll through like Run DMC and, and Ice-T with Donald D and Fushnickens, and it was always local acts, me and my friends opening for these guys. And they had, and we even had shows where it was not, there was no big opener. Sorry. There's no big, um, main act. It was just headliner, us. Yeah. yeah. No main headliner. part of me. And it was just us and me and, uh, other friends who had their own crews, Funky Intellect, uh, black reality, based reality, uh, the brother man syndicate. And, you know, we had a, such a, there was like a bump in scene and like people knew us and, you know, I went from there. I'd always collected records. I went from there to sort of to DJing a little bit more. Once the, the, the rap group sort of fizzled out a little bit, our DJ capital J DJ capital J became more of a jungle DJ. And it's like, has gone onto his own, notoriety as a junglist DJ and but his first some of his first jungle or forays into jungle and electronic music were with our group Young Wisdom where he would do like house remixes of our songs and we were like sort of in the beginning sort of begrudgingly it was odd because it was at that time where it's like yo hip-hop everything hip-hop over everything so to do any other genre particularly house music because yeah. it was so at odds with, um, with you know the hardcoreness and like that dropping science and having this, for some reason having fun was not cool, <laughs> right. dancing and smiling. But yeah. it was odd because it one was of the at first... some point in there though. Yeah, it was. That's the thing because that I when I was listening to Rock Master Scott and all that kind of stuff. When I moved from Toronto to London, before, pre- previous to that, like one of the first records that I owned was was like well, sorry, one of the first cassette tapes I will say. Had like bits and pieces on it, bits and pieces 88 and 89, mm-hmm. um, Coal Crush, which was hugely house and like Voodoo Ray. And I was really into acid house when I yeah. moved into and I had when I moved to, to London and I had a actually had a jacket with a happy face on it. And it's I spelled acid, like the actual acid, not acid. Yeah, but you know, I was what do you, I was in grade, give me a break. All right, I was in grade eight, like what do you want, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And I, I remember wearing it to in, in the White Oaks Mall with my acid jacket and being like, yeah, I'm the cool guy from Toronto, you know. And then it was <laughs> it's, at some point I went, I stopped and I was like, no, hip hop only. And we were like so adverse to hip to house music for some reason. It was odd. That kind of faded away as I kind of came into myself a little bit more because I was always, even in my crew of friends, the outcast, I always liked like in the, when I, in in terms of my hip hop friends, I I was always into different things. I was mm. I was still into other kinds of music. Again, I still really loved like the Cult and the Clash and um Duran Duran and that, and that kind of stuff. And like Bar House, I really loved the Cure and all those guys. And so I was always sort of the weirdo of my crew and as such i i ended up doing other things where that didn't involve those guys where before it was like all hip-hop all those people we were all doing it And also i will admit there was um like going through high school i um i'd made a decision at some point to be to not drink or smoke right um there were a lot of personal reasons like and family reasons for that and i decided that i would never do that and to, I guess, to that young child's credit, I, he never did. They never, never, ever, like, the only time, I, like, I'd been hotboxed a few times in my years, in my later years, but other than that, like, I, I've had, like, I can count on one hand how many times I've tried a drink of something, yeah. and so there was really, the weed era of hip-hop came in pretty heavily, Oh yeah, and I was really not into it. And as such, we ended up hanging out with people that I wouldn't, we wouldn't normally hang out with. We always saw that as kind of like weed, but previous to that, it was always like the rocker thing to do, like, yeah, know, the smoke a doob, that kind of thing. Yeah. And we ended up hanging out with, not just the fact that they were rock, quote unquote rocker guys. um, But the fact that it was like, the only reason we're hanging out with these people right now is to get high and I don't get high and I'm not interested in this. So yeah. I'm going to go raid your cassette collections collections, and like, yeah. Sometimes I would go home with one or two of their cassettes and stuff. I, I will admit. I was a little bit of a hooligan in that in those days. Yeah, and so I started just finding other people, like minded people, and I started working with uh Soul Choice, which is uh, Andrea Fashbaugh and Andy Cap, and I got to, uh I got to get on the radio. I went through the um I wanted to get on CHRW was the radio station, uh the uh for Western. And I got on that mm-hmm. and you don't get your own show, but because I knew those guys, they had me on their show, which was a upside downside show. Okay. And eventually, they stopped doing the upside downside show and let me take it over with um, a guy named Scott Larock, Sh- Sean Larock. Sorry, not Sean Scott Larock. Like, yeah. Scott Larock. Yeah, 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 yo, yeah. You know, a little summer on BDP. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we did that show. Um, and then I went on from doing that to doing my own show, which was um crackers and cheese. Uh, and then I went on from doing that show to another show called Black Leather Couch with myself and my friend, uh, another friend of mine from the hip hop days, Steve, Kenny Flowtight Lewis. Sometime after the end of that show, we actually won an award for the Black Leather Couch show, which was dope. And sometime after that, I moved back. I tried the first time to move back to Toronto to go to school <laughs> in Toronto, which I wasn't quite ready for. To put it to
0: <laughs> put it lightly,
1: put, put it lightly, uh, and then moved promptly after a year and a half, or less than a year and a half, moved back to uh, London, Ontario, where I was still DJing, doing you know little parties with Andy, and you know DJing. And at that point, like I was very much like into all genres of music, and I kind of I don't think I changed much the style of music or the way the open format style of music from then. This was like coming up in the two thousands now
0: this is when i'm this is probably yeah this time is when, when i yeah. first met you yeah. yeah
1: this is when actually you know i feel like we would have met before a little, it was bit, probably before a little then. bit before that. yeah, yeah. but yeah this like, is yeah. when we really started knowing each other because you were starting to make music around that time too i would say and so we started kind of hanging out a little bit but i was still mostly andy's boy and we were mostly doing that kind of thing i wasn't making much music myself but i was DJing, DJing a lot, lot. stop I eventually moved back to Toronto, started just trying to make a go of it, DJing out there. I found it really difficult because I didn't know too many people. But any of the connects that I knew were in the hip hop community. And so, you know, I went where the the gigs were and I was happy to do it. And I got hooked up, luckily, with um, In Divine Style, which was a hip hop night at the now defunct, I think, Gypsy Co-op. Um, so in divine style was an open mic night and hip hop showcase night and hip hop night. It was like the place to go DJ Dahlia, more or less Addy Mindbender. And we had just a slew of MCs that would just come through and would just, you know, do the open mic. And even I kind of picked up the mic once or twice and did a little rap. Not you. (laughs) Rapity rap. Yeah. At that point. But I was well out of rap at that time. So, right. No, I got up and I was mostly doing like they let they they let me come on and like do the instrumentals for like play the instrumentals for the for the um freestyles and for the open mic mm. night, which was dope for me. I was, really enjoyed it, and I hooked up with uh, a friend of mine. I don't and it's weird. I never really. I always try to think about how I met Jesse Otake, but I knew Jesse before I moved to Toronto. But I hooked up with Jesse, who was managing and i will put that loosely managing um artist named Major 1
0: mm.
1: shouts to Major 1 the the person with the best hustle ever she like is like she just there's no other way to put it she has like the the hardest hustle grind of anybody i've ever met in hip hop um, or anywhere that's
0: that is saying something Absolutely. That is, yeah.
1: That is. She, I, I was in awe about how hard she worked and how she, like she worked her connects and how she knew how to do that kind of stuff at the time. And so he was, she was kind of getting a crew together, and they and Jesse was promoting and trying to do nights and had this thing called the M1, which stood for Major One M1 Academy. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh man, that's a hard one to think of all who was in that. But myself, Mensa, Slangston Hughes. Man, Junior T, Triple O was in that. At any rate, it was a bunch of crew of us. So they were doing nights. And rewind to when I was doing nights at the Bacchus Lounge with, uh, in London, Ontario, when I was still living in London. Mm-hmm. I had an idea to do a show where the rapping or the rhyming and the performing was mixed in seamlessly with the DJ. Because at that point, I'd been going to hip hop shows and shows in general since I was Again, since I was about six years old, six or seven, even before then, I was at a show and I was like, you know at this point, again, I was I'd been to so many shows that I'd like just going to a show wasn't exciting enough yeah. for me anymore. Like yeah. there, I was like, there has to be a better way, a more interesting way to do this. Like we have the DJ and we have this, and thinking about the origins of hip hop, the way it it worked was it wasn't until groups were really established that there was like, okay, here's the show part of the night, right." You know, and that was very much how it looked from like when I was doing things in London as Young Wisdom in the 80s up until like the 2000s when I was back in Toronto. So when I was in London, I said to myself, yo, why don't we do that? We make it so it's like a hip hop show, a hip hop night where we're just playing music. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, somebody jumps on stage and starts rhyming and does a show. And it looks like it's spontaneous, Mm -hmm. but it's completely not. It's totally planned so I said why don't we do why don't we do shows like that why don't people do yeah. shows like that so that was about six or so years before I ended up moving back to Toronto like way 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 back when I first first started thinking about this idea so when I finally moved to Toronto and I hooked up with Jesse I had the ability to do it and I said this is my idea I didn't there weren't enough big names in London and there weren't enough people of note to draw enough of a crowd because i'd seen right. like hip-hop shows s- sort of fizzle and i'd also had been to in divine style where you no know, we would had we had like slow nights you know and every night has a slow night it's like it was a it's it, it, like the biggest nights were like anniversary parties and and right. then like then the end like the ending of in divine style like those were the kind of things that happened so mm-hmm. i was like if i could get like if this artist can bring like 10 people and this guy can bring 10 people and this guy can bring 10 people and this guy can bring 40 people you can have a packed house and like it could be dope and also I was very much disheartened by the way shows were run so that it was the importance was was put on the artist that you're going to see not that that's a bad thing it's great you want to support the artist that's dope that's amazing that's that doesn't happen very often but because it doesn't happen very often I was like you know People don't really care. And just to be blunt, people don't always care to see the local acts. It yeah. sucks, but yeah. it's true. Yeah, You're not enough of a name. And also, there are people like, and not to say these are people who nobody cared about, but it's like, Major One was dope. Eternia, at that time, she was out there still. Uh, people like Kamau, again, uh, Empire, the crew Empire, they had their own following. But it's not like, you also knew these people. You mm-hmm. know, like you could go out in the street and I'd see Addy Mindbender or Eternia and then we were friends and like so when you have a show and in, in a city full of artists. Nobody wants to come to your show because everybody else got a show going on.
0: Right? Yeah, it's
1: like everybody. I mean, it's funny because even till this day, people in Toronto will still talk about that. It's like, yeah, you can't do anything because everybody's doing something, and like it's it's like that now with DJing because everybody friggin' DJ's. So right, who cares? Like, yeah, okay, you're. I love you. You play dope stuff, but I got my own night, and every single bar has a turntable in it. So yeah, whatever. So I said in a way, what's more important. Is the music, and it was kind of an and, and as an ode to the music that like fed me and as like gave me inspiration. And when I was young, I came up with the idea called a hip hop history club. We'd have usually about twelve artists, local artists, and they would do their favorite hip hop song, and it was pl- and the performance itself ran like a mixtape which is seamless, which was no stop in between. It wouldn't be like, okay, next is Eternia, okay, next is Shad K, okay, next is this. It was like a mixtape, and it was a live, it was the Hip Hop History Club, in parentheses, the live mixtape. Nobody had had done anything like this previous. I'm just going to say this, go on the record, fuck what you heard, (laughs) nobody was doing this. There's a big. I won't go into the controversy about it, but you know who you are <laughs> out there trying to say. But at any rate, we'll have a at comment least in,
0: section. Yeah,
1: <laughs> at least, at least in Toronto, I will say, at the very least in Toronto, nobody was doing it, doing exactly this like this, right? I'd say in North America. But at any rate, so a part of the idea of the show was again, instead of having a show where you're going to see the artist and that's what you're supporting, which is great, it's more an ode again to hip hop itself and the people on stage and the people who are watching are basically sharing in the same experience of just celebrating hip hop music and celebrating this music together. Cause as fans, the people on stage are doing a song that they're a fan of and, lo- and they're loving it. They're just rapping. They're just essentially, they're doing karaoke yeah, and they're just like loving it. And there's, and the people on who are not on stage? Who are watching are rapping along too because these are well-known tunes, and it's like, oh shit, they did this. They did uh, somebody did Undisputed Champs once, which was like Telephone Kilo Sapien, Q Tip, and um, and Pep Love. I think okay. somebody did Undisputed Champs. Like you wouldn't, you'd go to an underground hip hop show and hear that, but to see somebody on stage rapping it, and you can be like, yo, I love that song. Yeah, and, and you know, people go crazy for, it, and it's like the sharing of that energy. was what the show was about. And it wasn't about the artist, it was about something bigger than the individuals on the stage, being a part of something bigger.
0: That had its time. There was another project called Bang the Party that you did with Andy Cap.
1: That was also an ode to something bigger, which was more like the 70s and 80s New York music and art scene. so it was like you know punk funk and hip-hop uh disco rap is what i called it and then disco and anything new that sort of sounded like that which was the concept and that was all andy the idea of doing it like that way was like originally like i want to do a night that is uh owed to the 70s new york scene at that point, like, I 70s, was doing 80s. my yeah. 70s, 80s scene. And at that point, I was doing a night myself where I was playing, I was playing exactly that. I had a night called No Format, Say No Format. And it was exactly that. It was all of those, all of the genres that I like, but I would do it in such a way that it flowed well and it made sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so at any rate, so then Andy came to me and like, we said, yo, why don't we do this this night? And we can just, you're already playing that music. Why don't we just do it together? Yeah. And, uh, so we did that. And Jared, that's when I, that's when we really started working more together because you were making music more. So actually, I guess you were, we had, you'd already we had been done making music. projects. Yeah.
0: I mean, we had done some projects together. I, I had helped, I actually, had, you had hit me up when I was still in London and you had moved to Toronto already for hip hop history club, actually to say, All right, yeah, yeah, Hey, yeah. can you put together this instrumental? We don't have the, uh, there is no instrumental that exists for it. Can you put something together? And, It was a really fun project, just sort of sourcing the sample and trying to remake the beat. It was a great exercise in itself. That was
1: dope. You did, it. I remember that.
0: Yeah, but um, I was just going to get at this, this idea behind, I think, both Hip Hop History Club and Bang the Party, which is really like, in my estimation, the cultivation of two, like really trying to bring a community together. I think it's a difficult, like I think it's something that's shared across music and probably art in general, right? You've got your various scenes. And I think those scenes interact with each other to some degree, but then bringing a group of people together seems like harder and harder. And I've even spoken to promoters now who, and I I was going to ask you this question as well as related to that. Like, yeah. Are the challenges the same as they were when you started promoting shows today? And how do you get a community? How do you build a community Like, is it is it something that you have to just allow to make time for or is it something that you can do quickly, provided you have the right people involved? You know, because it seems like in the case of the Hip Hop History Club, you were really relying on those people's networks to bring everybody else together. Right. On top of the concept, like it wasn't just like, hey, we're doing a show and we've got like 20 people on the bill. Because I know that's sort of a classic, <laughs> sort of like a classic way to kind of a lot of, uh, you know, like hurricane relief shows or, you know, shows that are for for the purposes of donating money to a particular cause. They often have large bills of people. Right. So you yeah. can get more people out to the show. But in this case, it was like you said, it was almost like a like a collective karaoke. But with this understanding, it's like, no, we're going to bring like top notch MCs that can absolutely deliver the goods.
1: And that was again that was it that that's the feeling that I wanted to get that I wanted to elicit from people it was just like yeah
0: oh man this song's great
1: you never hear it out it's a dope song and oh my god listen to these guys are actually doing it like that's it's all of that excitement and it's bigger than than the people doing it and that, and that in itself by the time we had done it with the we but the time we did the first hip hop history club M1 Academy sort of had a little bit of a following because we were known for underground shows and for Mm -hmm. doing the shows with like ISIS at the time who went on to Thunder, what's the name of their thing? Thunder Heist. Thunder Heist, who went on to Thunder, like doing a show with her or her opening or whatever. Like that was a place for underground people to go to in the city Mm -hmm. for like shows. So we had a little bit of a following, but like I think Hip Hop History Club kind of like took that and said, yo we are a community we are the hip-hop community and like you saw it in the context of the larger hip-hop community and it was Mm. it was the kind of thing that just people always talk about nowadays especially like organic things that are organic building of community but that was truly organic it took time i want to sound disdainful of the way things are now but it's it's very contrived the way that Social media was working now in terms of building community for social media. You know that that's what it's for now. Yeah, the fact that it's when we were doing it, it was MySpace and Facebook maybe just started started popping. So it was this new way for people who were disjointed to get together, like for to communicate, to have community. And there was like the idea of like the online community was just sort of new, wasn't really happening. So reaching out to people online we didn't really understand how to do it right you know and and i say how to do it right in the sense that now you can go you can take a course on it now there are all of these like you know there's a bot that you can get or there's all these like these ways that you can fudge the you can hack the system to do it like you know get followers there's all of that there's that like you're thinking ahead and you think how to do it but Back then, it was just like, here's this new thing. It's fucking Facebook, relatively new, I guess, at that time, and MySpace. And yo, this guy hit me up on it. Like everybody's on it. Everybody wants to be on it. It's just new. It's exciting. What can it do? What do we do? And then, like, you get hit up on it. You're gonna most likely check. You're gonna like most likely check for it. You know, you get a you get a message now. It's like one of a thousand invites that you got. Like who cares? You yeah. know you get lost in the din of like millions of people messaging you something.
0: How do you go from there to to building that like is the is the real take home that you can't build a community overnight? Like it doesn't matter how many facebook ads you put up is is it some striking some kind of a balance between postering outside in the bitter cold of winter which i've done with you before (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah or
0: or just being like no it's just it's just facebook now and that's the way that it is or is it just is it about neither of those things and it's really about trying to connect with those individuals that actually resonate with this idea because i know of successful nights and i i just I'm just curious for people who who do that. What, what's what's the recipe? Like people at Bang the Party or Hip Hop History Club become invested in being, they become invested in being promoters of that event themselves by virtue yeah. of their you know being so excited about it. Yeah, you you're now you or you had been doing the big sound shows in Vancouver. You had been doing them in Toronto when you were still in Toronto.
1: Yeah, I was play, I was singing in it.
0: Yeah. You are performing in it. And since having moved to Vancouver, you've put on some of them. Maybe you can just talk about some of the challenges of just promotion and like off offering, you know, how, how do you get people to come onto a show and maybe that's a question you can't answer either. You're just like, I don't know. How (laughs) do you get people onto a show? Well, you know,
1: okay. I'm not going to try to, to answer the question because I don't think there is any one way or there is an answer to it, in essentially. And it's, I kind of, I, I, kinda, well, I, I hate to say it like answer. this. No, no, no. I mean, I'm, I just mean it in a sense of, yo, this is supposed to be informative and maybe inspirational to help people out. From, but mm-hmm. for me, I'm very, I seem very pessimistic in my my approach. I see. Uh, and, I, and I've always been, because as you know, you've been out there with me postering in the middle of the night in the freezing cold, minus 30 damn weather in Toronto. Right. Yeah. I, that was part of the like I guess the story that I should make sure to like <laughs> to mention is I started with Jesse with and with the M1 Academy, we were putting up the posters. Mm. Bang the party, we were putting up the posters. We were outside in the nighttime flyering. And at very much so and for my own night when I was alone when I was doing a night alone and I was working at the coffee shop and I was de- trying to get a little bit of money from DJing, I would like be out in the nighttime flyering after working whatever eight hours at um the coffee shop or and as soon as we close I'd like maybe get home go back outside with my flyers and flyer and be have to wake up to go to work open the shop at like six or whatever like that and I would Mm -hmm. be doing that day after day after day after day just to get like a small foothold and a small following and I I did that understanding and that this is going to take time. And I have always been one for the long play. Yeah. Be it when I was trying to date somebody that was like <laughs> the two ways or, or with like the, 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 things that I'm trying to do. I was always like, yo, it's the long play. You know what I'm saying? They're yeah. not going to come to me. You're going to hear about me. I'm not going to like go to you and tell you, I'm going to tell everybody else around you or a few other people around you, key people around you. And they're going to come and then they're gonna go back and tell you and then you and them are gonna come and 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 it'll kind of hopefully snowball like that right that was part of my thing the one of the main things that I'd like if I had to boil it down to like one piece of advice for getting people out to a show but this might not always work for everybody I found that again with as with the hip hop history club and for me with bang the the way I approached bang the party and also now big sound was that you weren't coming to see individuals. People don't last ideas last forever hmm. to be connect yourself to a person. We don't, we're not like it's fleeting, like literally cause we all die. It's so depressing, but also, you know, somebody else has a show. I got to go support them or something else is going on. And you know, you're, you're my friend. I love you, but I got to go do this thing and you know, I'll see you next time. Sure. So to rest so heavily on the artist as the thing that's going to draw people, it's not effective enough. You yeah. have to always, I've always said you have to hold people's hands and drag them into the place to get them there and make them, give them no choice essentially. Mm-hmm. And in making things that were highly conceptual something that people could could latch onto an idea something bigger than themselves that they can be a part of rather than going to see that was always my key to success a successful night Holidays.
0: So there's a part of actually trying to involve the audience as much as possible. Like the audience is your reason for uh, being able to do this without them. You do not have a show. It is just, or it's, it's just a you. non yeah, witness of- show, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's definitely not an experience. I really like that idea that the idea has to sort of surpass the, the, the parts of the show itself.
1: Yeah, but definitely. It's, it's 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 the way that, again, and I can track it back, I can trace that back to all of the shows that I've done. Hip Hop History Club was not about, again, like Eternia, for instance. I, I, I'll use her or like Major One or again Kamau or Shad K or any of these other guys. It's not about them. They're mm-hmm. at the show. Their names are at the show, on the bill, but you're not going to see necessarily only to see them. You're going to do this thing. We are all together, the artists, the promoters, All of us, we're gonna be in a room and we're gonna enjoy this thing. We're gonna do this thing. Yeah, hip hop history couples like that. Bang the party, and just a little background of how I like now in a real in a like in the actual sense how I promoted Bang the Party. So Andy was very big on like blog posts and like information and like this is the scene and this is what this music is about and he was very like to his credit like really amazing at curating that in that sense and like this and like giving you articles and that kind of thing one of my strengths besides like the djing part and then the hosting part which i'll get back to which was in relation to like the getting the crowd involved was again the long play going for the long play whereas usually you would even at the time of my space you would just get a thing get get like a list of people 600 people do an email blast yo i got this night come out to it mm-hmm. i never did that until the week of or until like the day before or something like that, I might do like one email blast for everybody. But that was like rare. The way I really did it was the day or so after the last one, I would start looking for people because it was really awesome with Bang the Party because we had like we, like we had certain tunes and certain like artists that we would play that's like a very kind of specific, you know. You know, not everybody knew like Jamie Liddell, for instance, or like again, or iCube or like Maurice Fulton or those kinds of people or like, no, but a lot of people knew that. So I would Mm -hmm. go into MySpace and search for like Toronto and anybody who was in Toronto who had as things that they liked any of the artists that we played or who friended any of the artists that we played, I would check out their page. I would like, you know, learn a little bit, like learn one or two things about them and and this, and a, and admittedly, it seems very contrived when I say it. But I would email them individually.
0: Mm.
1: Part of it was very contrived because I would I would like make sure to reference something on their page. Right. Be like, oh, I saw you like this thing. That's blah blah blah. Or like make a joke about something that they liked, or make a joke about one of their pictures, or hey, that's funny, blah blah blah, whatever. Right. But right. I would always start with, hey, I noticed that you liked. Hey, my name is Todd. I noticed that you like these guys you know it's a very niche a group that like it's a very niche kind of thing I noticed that you liked this we do a night where we play this and stuff like this and this and this and I think you might like it it's called bang the party this is when it is it's this time and it's this. at the it's at the boat or whatever and we would actually have a conversation and so instead of doing getting 600 people like emailing 600 people I might get maybe a hundred or maybe even 75 or 50
0: because yeah, of, it's, time consuming. Yeah, it's time consuming <laughs> yeah I'm out, taking yeah.
1: a longer time to like actually like research these people and I became friends like actual friends with a lot of those people because they would eventually like any of the ones that could come would come to the night and I would always once they got back to me once like we talked a little bit I'd always be like hey please make sure to come and say hi when you if you come to the show or like hey i'll get i got a couple drink tickets cuz i don't again i don't drink so you know let me let's like get you a drink or something like that to certain people cuz i didn't have like a, a whole bunch of things and like hey you know and, and they would always I, I don't think i'd ever had to give a guest list out to any i'd say maybe 10% maybe of the people who i emailed in that way would ask for a guest list they would always pay be happy to pay because it's instead of this th- nameless faceless night that you just got an email about it was todd yeah not rod skimmins todd yeah. sending me an email this guy i just met on facebook randomly oh yeah he's kind of cool i'm gonna go check out this night oh you guys play this oh never nobody ever plays that stuff oh i'm dying a lot Is the response i would always get is man nobody ever plays this nobody ever plays this even though there was like in terms of the disco, there was like <laughs> Will Monroe was still around then, rest in peace. Um, Jamie Sin, um, Pam, uh Andrew All's Good, like the footwear I guess the footwear guys would would also like they were still around but somehow people would still be like oh nobody plays this or that or that or like and to a large degree it was a lot of stuff that nobody else was really playing but right, like right. there was like disco and everybody's like mad people's playing disco but i would always get that response and people were excited about it excited to hear it oh you like that too that's awesome i like these guys Let's come i'm going to come check you guys out i'm going to come che- i'd love to hear somebody play this out in the out in a club yeah they'd come And the second part of it would be my job was host. And rather than host as like, you know, I get on the mic because I I did that. I got on the mic and I would talk and I'd do a lot of toasting, which was harkening back to the like disco rap days, the early days of hip hop, Mm -hmm. like, you know hey shouting reggae. people out or reggae, reggae. Yeah, yeah right sorry I guess toasting originally toasting sorry but I, I my reference my frame of reference was hip hop so sorry to any Jamaicans out there yes okay yes y'all did it first <laughs> so I would make sure to go out in like when I wasn't DJing or wasn't on the mic just go out and just like show people that I appreciated that they came because I was appreciative of the fact that yo we busted our asses to put this thing together mm-hmm. I scoured the the alleyways of Toronto for t- television sets to bring to the show to like set up this array of televisions and like you know set that shit up like a day before sometimes and bust my ass and handing off flyers. You came out, you came out and paid let yeah. me talk. Let me come and like give you a minute and just be like, yo, thanks for coming. And yeah. like the the end result for me was was to make a community. So in that sense, it wasn't necessarily organic, but it was in that it wasn't just like, we didn't have something like uh, Superphone or something like that that they have now.
0: The interesting thing to me is like you... you may have had some, you know, you, you could say nefarious intentions, <laughs> but you're also trying, you're also recognizing a common appreciation for a particular artist. Yeah. That you're like, look, I like this artist. You like this artist. Why shouldn't you be here where you can hear yeah. that person's music? <laughs> and hey, guess what? Maybe like we'll, you know, make friendships out of it. Other people are going to be there, you know, s- yeah. similarly. So some things that stick out there for me are like being genuine. So initially maybe you weren't fully genuine in order to sort of bait the hook, so to speak. But
1: yeah, there was, it was just a way for them to see that I was a real person. Yeah. And that I acknowledged that they were a real person I was like, yo, I'm looking at something on your page and I'm making a very specific reference to something on your page. So, you know, it is not just like some email blast that yes, you're getting yeah. from me.
0: Yeah. Like, well, there is, hey, I mean, you are being yeah. genuine in the <laughs> sense that this, you'd really do have an appreciation. You're, you're not just ran picking artists at mm-hmm. random and people at random. Like you're saying, it's not yeah. an email list that you've got from somebody. It's this authenticity. That's it's real. This is this actually you, you are almost doing what Facebook ads do
1: now <laughs> totally but it's again but it's you know i'm not a luddite by any stretch of the imagination but it's just it's not it's there's this in this it lacks authenticity when it's a bot doing it it's just sure, it, yeah, somehow it just does of and course. i know and maybe in a metaphysical sense this might be true but you can feel the actual connection when a real person sends you the email maybe it's not maybe i'm just making it up but there is maybe even it's not it's not being transmitted through the computer but somehow the real connection is there when you send it out when you like when you send the <clears throat> when you send a message yourself fine you know we got ai now and they're trying to emulate what a real like person talks like or interacts like online
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so maybe they will and it's it'll all be based once again on algorithms and it'll be based on you know research but there's just something about that that I found was just the most effective. And as much as <clears throat> I would get pressured to not do that because I wouldn't send out, because it was all about numbers, numbers, numbers. Because sure, I could always be sure that I would get the few and the true. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was more important to get it that way. And luckily for us, it was at a time when people were, were like, Sorry, not luckily for us, because it was, I, I think it was also by design from Andy and myself being like, this is where dance music is at now. And these are the roots of what this dance music sounds like now. So right. if we connect these two, oh my God, yeah, disco was, when we kind of started, disco was not exactly bumping. It wasn't, a, it yeah. was, yeah, it was not in vogue in, in any sense of the word. Like, and again, it was not just us doing it, it was a couple of the few other people out there doing it people that I mentioned before doing it but it was timing it was the perfect timing and it was knowing and seeing that and again to Andy's credit he was very good with thinking about the next thing yeah that was something like thinking like looking at what was what was happening now mm. and kind of being like this should be the next thing cuz this or looking at the connections and that's something that I've always prided myself in is being able to see connections and make connections with things. So those are the two things the creating real connections. Um, and then it being about something bigger than yourself with the big sound, for instance, it's, we have, I tried to get like bigger, like not bigger, local artists who by themselves, they draw a crowd and that helps get people out. And Mm -hmm. if you get like 10 vocalists and again, the band is 26, some odd people so like each of those people if they get three people to come out to a show of music that they know that they that their friends like then yeah we're we're laughing like we're on our way to like you know fill in the room somewhat Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily about them on stage whenever I would do um a couple times I did the post and I wouldn't a post for the big sound and I, I didn't put the artists' names, the people who are singing. Right. I didn't put their names on it, but I put 26-piece Golden Era Soul Orchestra. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's a mouthful, but you look at that, and if you like live music, if you like soul music, if you like Motown or anything, or Stax, or any of those kind of labels, and you see somebody says, 26-piece orchestra, you're like, nobody's doing that. Yeah. That would be a great experience. That's awesome. Yeah. And I from when i started uh, as a vocalist in the toronto big sound when may lee shouts to may lee todd asked if i wanted to come on and be a backup singer and uh i mean i say yeah for sure and they were like yo we need somebody to sing ain't too proud to beg we were at rehearsal and i was like "Ah, uh, yeah i'll give it a try and then the rest is history then i just became a regular artist a regular vocalist on a lead vocalist and Christopher Sands, Mad shouts to You, like, brought me on, and like, I started, I became friends with him, and I started getting an understanding of the inner workings of how it works and the logistics of how it works, and one of the things that I, that it's amazing about the show is, it's a lot of hard work, but everybody, and it's the same way as with the big, with the hip hop music club, everybody involved in the show loves it so much mm-hmm. that, not to say they don't get paid, but like, they would do it for free. Right. They love doing the show so much. Can you imagine what it's like being at the show? Like yeah. so everybody is like loves this music and not only they don't get to hear it all the time at that scale with actual yeah. string section and like somebody playing the harmonica and a dedicated tambourine player like people actually like are they going to be able to pull this off that's what he yeah. always talks about people are like watching are they going to be able to pull this off yeah and people on stage are thinking the exact same thing as the people off stage they're like oh my god they're going to do it oh my god it's this song wow it sounds great and everybody is like so much love in the room and it's a real it's real yeah it's real it's yeah like, so like his and chris is amazing band leader there's going to be a big butt here (laughs) awesome guy but his promotion skills in the beginning were not great right they were not great at all like and he but the thing is it didn't have to be
0: yeah his idea was so good yeah yeah it it was undeniable and
1: then again and it goes back to that idea of you have to like hold people's hands and drag them and make them so that they like there is no choice for you to come if you like soul music and you have a choice you don't have a choice between going to see a six piece bar band play, try to play these songs and a 26 piece band actually like making these songs come to life in yeah. this way like, yeah. you don't have a choice there's no choice you like soul music there's no just, there's no competition yeah um he's very at, and 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 in the idea of competition he is also a very like competitive guy and he's mm. very blunt super toronto very like yo screw facey and like i'm the shit and he is but like his idea is like i'm gonna blow everybody else out the fucking water right and to a degree a lesser degree i'm like that here in in vancouver there's lots of bands doing motown and soul music but nobody's doing it like we do it right not to everybody's credit like y'all are doing great stuff there they're doing amazing like there's dope bands out here But it's just, it's not a contest. It's not even. I'm not trying to blow you out the water. It's just a fact. Like, that's a 26-piece band. Like you can't really front on that. And the idea of seeing it.
0: I mean, but we've talked about this before, this idea of hustle. You said it with Meja. You know, like (laughs) I'm just trying to extract kind of like the the key elements of, you know, what is it to to create and promote and sustain something that you've created or you want to be creating? And like all these ideas seem to be coming out, like being genuine, being authentic. That's a thing now. You know, it is it it is to say that you embrace this idea of authenticity. Well, do you really embrace the? Are you actually <laughs> interested in that music, or is it just a passing fad? Is it? Are you really willing to go out in the middle of the night, um, if that's where, how you have to do it? I think it's much yeah, more effective yeah. that way. But are you re- really willing to go to those lengths to see that the project succeed? But if if the environment is so with with other competing things how do you establish you know your niche and really get an audience to say oh no that's the thing that i want to go to and i i think you've drawn out like all of these very very important factors to making something successful and i don't yeah. think that the, the the ego or your confidence level is something that should be taken for granted either because it's maybe it speaks more to the attitude that has to be taken in order to uh, undergo That project, I spoke to when I was speaking to Josh Reichman in our interview, that was something that we sort of touched on was like taking ownership of it, being responsible for it and kind of just like really putting the work in like that. Everything takes work. It's not going to come overnight. And so, you know, set the set the time frame accordingly. You know, if you if you feel that you really want it to be successful, then think about going the long run and like really planning for that, planning for that ramp up to happen um, and Mm -hmm. not just expect to see like immediate results. I mean, if you do, then great, but be be able to capitalize on those uh, immediately by, by having the other work ready to go.
1: Yeah. And you know what you find, you'll find that the long, the long route isn't that long when you do it right. Right. You know, when you start off, it pays
0: greater dividends in the end. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The ego thing is there, but for me, I believe ideas exist out in the universe somewhere. I've heard, it's weird because I think I heard Will Smith say something like this. So I'm going to sound mad, Will Smith, right now. But ideas and like the truth, like, exist in a way, in a metaphysical sense, out somewhere in the universe and they like float around. So basically, any ideas that I come up with, I don't necessarily attribute to myself in any way totally you know right it's right. an idea that's out in the universe and it i was just so lucky i was fortunate to have it come to me or to or mm. to be open to it and mm. so again and it goes back to the being some doing something that's like related to something bigger than yourself like all of these concepts or all of these ideas all of the things that i want to communicate they're bigger than me they are things that are bigger than me the community I, I mean i guess to us on a smaller scale like the the greatness of Motown music, the greatness of soul music, like the how enduring it is, in its quality and it's like in its effect on people, like that thing that is bigger than me. It is a legacy that is bigger than anything that I can do, mm-hmm. and I'm paying homage to that, and that is what I'm bringing other people into. I'm connecting with them with that. So my confidence is in the idea and in the concept. Again, that's why I say like the twenty the twenty six piece band, like you can't front on that go to the show once and you're like this I will never want to go see a bar band play these songs ever again because there's nothing there's nothing compares to a full string section a full horn section and like mm-hmm. four percussionists and like it's just undeniable you got to make it un- undeniable and believe in it and it's easier for me to believe in it and again with the bang, same with Bang the Party nobody's doing this and this is an idea that is like yes mu- dance music today sounds like this because of what came before it And that lineage is what is, is was the concept that we were, that in my mind I was promoting. Right. That I was bringing people into. Look at this, listen to this, listen to the way we seamlessly go from this to this. See how it all sounds the same. Listen to the interconnectivity of all these types of music that normally you wouldn't think go together. Yeah. You know? And that's where the confidence for me comes. And that's kind of where my starting point is with anything that I want to do is always some kind of a, like a con some concept some idea some something i want to communicate something i want to say i always say whenever i am making something be it i'm making a beat or like when i do a remix or if i'm like doing a night or if i'm trying to like do some kind of like a triptych like a a silk screen triptych i'm always the starting point was always what am i i'm trying to say something an idea that I'm like I don't know how to how to convey this thing I don't know how else this I can't articulate this with words I'm not a great dancer so I but I can't dance this I gotta how can I say this what's a way that I can communicate this to people one of the things that I did one of the things that I'm working on coming up is um, in the summer I'm gonna be doing a big sound that's all female vocalists oh, okay cool and just the power of having all female vocalists on top of the fact that my prefer my doing big sound and i don't think i've ever said this out to anybody in the world uh, other than like the vocalists themselves is i i prioritize black and brown vocalists for to sing lead okay particularly in vancouver where we are like such a small part of the part of the population but right. also because it's soul music and not to say that there were not that black people were the only people doing soul music but the fact that even though Barry Gordy himself wasn't a political, wasn't very political, it wasn't apolitical, but he wasn't like, his goals were never like political in, in any sense. It was mm-hmm. not like he's making this, he's making Motown as a black man because he's got to show, you know, he's got to, you know, mm-hmm. he wanted to make money. Right. But him creating Motown and getting black music on the radio at a time where black people were still like, it was still common for black people to be lynched is political, like creating space, inserting himself in that space and thriving in the space in the States at that time was political, was a political act. Yeah. For me, I always make sure like that. I prioritize black vocalists because there's so few of us here anyways, and uh, we need to be visible. And it's also like, Hey, this is black music. It's (laughs) political black music. Right. Keep that in mind. And Mm -hmm. now it's not necessarily something that is, it's, it might not be overt, right? something that you notice right away, but it's in there. Like you, the fact that you, uh, people will go away from, the, come away from the show, they might not be like, oh man, there's only black people on that. It, I normalized it right? as uh, for the shows. Anytime people come to the show, they know what they're going to see and they, it's normalized to them. And it's like, oh, right. And I always try to make sure to say something in the beginning of the night <clears throat> and may hopefully at the end, usually if my voice isn't gone just to that effect to just be like this is a political thing you know mm-hmm. like Barry Gordy wasn't I mean, tried to make sure this just to touch on that nothing not beating people over the head with it Right. just to get it in people's minds just to be like right it's not just music it wasn't just sure they're just singing about baby baby I love you but that's a big deal at that time when it came out and it's right. connected to that and like mm-hmm. the civil rights movement was happening at that time and yeah. this is like the context in which Baby, baby, I love you, is so powerful.
0: Right. You yeah. know? Yeah. Well, I think we've been going for just over an hour now. Mm, 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 on mm. and on. Yes, we do. <laughs> so I'm going to say uh, that's probably good for today. Yeah, yeah. But thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: No, well, hey, I appreciate being allowed to talk for an hour straight. Nobody listens to me here in my house. <laughs>
0: Thanks everyone for listening to Mind to Make. What about? And uh thanks Todd. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. If you like what you heard on the show today and would like to support it, I would encourage you to go to my Patreon page and become a patron. Patrons will get access to exclusive content and can help decide which guests come on the show and what I ask them, as well as other rewards along the way. Support will enable the show to become bigger and better in many ways. There'll be a link to the page on both the mind to make website at www.mindtomake.com as well as in the show notes in the description for the podcast. Thanks again so much for listening, and please tune in next time.